Hi, my name is Jessica Cook and welcome to my podcast. My mission is to empower women over 40 to transform their lives through fitness. I've made this podcast so I can share with you my tips, tools and strategies I use in myself and my clients to get you feeling fit and healthy, feeling great in your clothes, with so much energy and positivity back in your life, no matter what your age. Head over to jessicacook.ie and you'll find lots of free stuff to get you started on your journey. Claire, good afternoon. I'm so excited to tell you guys that I finally have Claire O'Connell on my podcast, which I'm so excited for. I had really wanted her to chat to you guys at the workshop that we had in December, um, but she wasn't available at that date. So I was really, really looking forward to talking to her, to sharing her story. Claire signed up to my coaching program in COVID and her story is extremely inspiring and it needs to be shared. We all need inspiration and motivation to exercise, to keep moving forward, um, to keep overcoming setbacks and challenges. And I know, just speaking for myself, I find it so helpful when I have people around me that are so inspiring and so motivating. And Claire is one of these people. Claire, you aren't going to believe her story. Um, It is so, so uh, such an inspiring story. Um, And like I mentioned, Claire has been a client of mine, um, I think, over a year now and uh she has signed up to the program in COVID and has blown me away from uh, climbing Croke Patrick, Killaloo, uh Diamond Hill, knock ma twice, um uh and working out so consistently live with me at the 7:15s in the morning and getting up and getting her workout in and focusing on healthy food and all the stuff, journaling thrive time, Claire has blown me away. And Claire, you would have blown me away if it was just that with no backstory. Uh, but the fact that you have overcome so much is just truly inspiring. So let's start at the start and just just introduce yourself in any way you want. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, as you may have figured out, I'm Claire. Um, I'm originally from Cork, but if you asked me, I'd say I was from Galway, so that never goes down well <laughs> anywhere <clears throat> down south. Um, I moved to Galway nearly 15 years ago um, for work, in actual fact. Um, but uh, I don't do that work anymore, which is which is by the by. Um, I guess um, we usually use our jobs to describe ourselves. Um, I, I'm currently a student, a postgrad student. Um, but once upon a time, I was a radiation therapist. Um, a radiation therapist? Yes, a radiation therapist. How cool. Therapist. Did you enjoy that? I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, a lot of people say, oh, 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 cancer. Oh, God, that must be so depressing. They're like, no, it's it's not. It's actually really nice because you got to know patients because they'd come in every day for their treatment. And um, even though sometimes you knew that people were near to the end of, of their lives and then then you might like um there was something really sort of satisfying and inspiring and I can't think of an actual word so, sort of almost kind of touching your soul in in some respects just yeah be surprised how quickly you you kind of get to 
not know people but kind of feel people um, yeah sort of and I mean there, there's some people I only met once or twice and they'll still stick in my in my head um but no I did I really really like just I love the people part of the job I love uh, that it's so also a very radiation therapist a radiation you therapist. Are, you're now a postgrad so what happened in between okay well in between or during um I developed heart failure um I was living here for, I was, it seems like so much, doesn't seem like it could be that long, but I, I think I was only here about two years. <clears throat> so we're going back nearly 12, which was a lot longer than I actually thought in my head. Um, but I developed heart failure symptoms. Um, we didn't know it was heart failure at, at the time. Um, it took a very long time to diagnose what was wrong with me. Um, when I was a lot younger, I had had cancer myself. I'd had a lymphoma when I was 18. Um, which was treated with radiotherapy and then I had it I had a recurrence when I was 22 and then that time I had chemotherapy um, so that was the, the the second time I think I was graduated about a year ish um, and I had treatment then for that and I haven't had cancer since thankfully but um, some some other stuff has gone a bit 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 haywire how old were you when you got cancer? 18. God, that must have been some years. shock. Um, it seems like an awful, really is an awfully long time ago. It's 20, 24 years, 23 years ago, um, nearly 24. Um, it, 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 it was, I, I, I think, I think it was harder for my parents than it kind of was for me. That probably sounds odd. My 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 uncle had died of testicular cancer three Hang years ago. Hang on, Claire. I'm really interested in what you're hearing to say. This is a little bit of a clacking noise going on. Two seconds. Okay. So you were 18. I was 18. Yeah. Were you doing your leaving search? Were you in? I school? was repeating my leaving search. Originally, I wanted to do medicine. Um. So I was back repeating my leaving search. Um. It was kind of strange. I was very matter of fact about it at the time. It was kind of like, well, this is the way it is, and this is the treatment you need to have, and. And, you, you know, I think it, I do think it was harder for my mum and dad. Um, my dad's brother had died of testicular cancer three years before. Um, and if any, as, well, a lot of people might know testicular cancer is one of the curable cancers. And it is. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. Uh, just happened that my uncle was quite unfortunate. Um, and he died of it. And died yeah. of Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is also a curable form of cancer. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think they were more terrified than I was, especially when I came back. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of don't know, like I had my treatments during the summer and I, I came home one day and I told mom and dad that I was, I hadn't repeated my leaving search. And I said, um, I'm, I'm going to apply through clearing, which is almost like a second round thing in the UK. Um, and I'm going to go study radiotherapy and I think my, I don't think my mother still knows what to make of that decision. I'd literally finished treatments in August and I moved to England in September. Um, it was all very kind of rapid. Um, radiotherapy would have been my second choice to medicine anyway. It wasn't yeah. because I'd had radiotherapy. Yeah. Um, I knew about radiotherapy because my uncle had had radiotherapy. So, um, so that was kind of the reason for that um so yeah so then yeah so it recorded when I was 22 and I had chemotherapy 
at that point. And that was probably a much bigger struggle than the radiotherapy. Why? What was that like? Well, you say, I suppose the radiotherapy is relatively, you know, it depends on what part of the body is being treated. For me, it was relatively simple in that I'd go in, I'd, I'd, I'd be in the treatment room for 10 minutes, I'd have my treatments and I'd go home. I had some side effects, but radiotherapy side effects only affect the area that's been treated, whereas chemotherapy goes literally everywhere from the top of your head to the tips of your toes, so to speak. Um, so it was a lot more draining. And also, if there was a side effect going, I was the one who got it. Um, especially because I used to, my white blood cells used to, basically my, from the very first treatment I had, my white blood cells would plummet. And so from the second treatment on, I had to have these special injections so that my body could make white blood cells. Um, and the, inject, the side effects from the injections were nearly worse than some of the side effects from the chemo. So you were 18, you got Eight. cancer. Yeah. Can I ask you, how did that affect your mindset or did it affect your mindset? Were you angry? Did you feel like, what was the point of life? Did you get very negative? Like what happens to your actual mental health and your mindset? I would say no for the most part, but the way it affected me the most, and as well when I was having chemotherapy, is because of the age I was, everyone else is going off doing X, Y, and Z. They're traveling or they're doing this or they're doing that. And, you know, I mean, I went to college and I finished it in the length of time I was meant to finish it and, and everything else. But there was a sense of everyone moving, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone moving forwards. But I was kind of stuck in this land of hospital appointments and treatments and and everything else. So the, the, the radiotherapy was a funny one because like, okay, I need this treatment and da, 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 and sure it'll go the way it'll go. And, and it was actually kind of all right. It was more with the chemotherapy because as I say, that the fatigue that I experienced with the chemotherapy never really went away. Um, and I would say that I was a lot more sort of psychologically affected when I had the chemotherapy than with the radiotherapy. I don't think that's the difference in treatment. I think it's just, I think when you're 18, you think you're invincible, yeah. you know, um, you, you just, you know, you go do whatever. I mean, in all fairness, if I was a mother now and my daughter, if I had one came home and said, and by the way, I know I've just had this, you know, really serious illness, but I'm going to move countries now. Um, I think I might have had <laughs> a slight panic attack. <laughs> so you did get over cancer and you did move and start radiotherapy. I did. Well, prior to that, and part of the reason, part of the reason I guess I left Cork and moved to Galway was I had a, a, I know they don't clinically call it a nervous breakdown, but I would call it a nervous breakdown when I was 27, 28. And it was actually, it was, I suppose, it, it, it was a really bad breakup. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. But when you went back and kind of looked at, at everything, when I thought about how I was in myself, um, it, it, it wasn't the cause of it at all. It was literally the straw that broke the camel's back. I suppose going back a long time, even as a child, I'd be very people-pleasing. You know, um, I'd, you know, I was, I was a good girl. <laughs> you know, I was, um, and and I would overthink 
Um, not so much, I don't think, when I was a child, but definitely as I got older, um, I would overthink everything. Um, or, or I wouldn't do something in case it would annoy my mum or my dad or, or whoever, you know, it, I, I, the, the, the bad breakup. I had tried to break up with the boyfriend quite well prior. And um, he wouldn't let me break up, so which I know sounds bizarre, um, especially given that in the, in the end he was the one that that ended it. But it, you know, is that kind of like it was easy? You know, I I really I, I don't I don't know, but I I was de certainly very depressed without knowing I was depressed because I'd get a lot of ah, but you've had cancer, of course you're sad, or you know, but they're they're sad, and there's the way I was, which was. In crying, go on the drive into work, crying on the way home from work, having to run to the bathroom to bawl my eyes out in, in between things, and you know, constantly feeling like I was a horrible, horrible person. And when it all came to a head, I remember saying to my mum that they would all be better off if I was dead. Um. So to my mind, that was way worse than any physical illness I've I've ever had because. I, I thought I was an awful person um, and that wasn't because of the breakup or it wasn't because of anything in particular it was just an accumulation of I suppose coping by not talking or just not even not talking because I've never had a problem talking about the fact I've been unwell or whatever it is I don't dwell on it but for whatever for whatever reason or a multitude of reasons um, it, it culminated in in me needing to. I was living in Dublin at the time for 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 about a year and a half, having to leave the the job I had there and come home and just kind of be minded, I suppose. Um, How did you recover? Um, my my GP at home, who knew me since I was about four. I remember saying to mom, I was like, I can't go on like this. I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping. All I was doing was crying and crying and crying and spending most of the time in bed. Um, and she was getting frustrated with me because she was like, I don't know what to do with you. Would you please just stop crying at least? And I'd be like, I can't, I can't, I could, I would. Um, that's if I was saying anything at all. And I went down to, to John, he took one look at me. He was like, I've never seen you like this. There's something very, very wrong. And he made a phone call to a, a doc that he worked with, that he had trained with. That she was a psychiatrist. I don't know if she still is. Um, and she saw me the following day and she went through a whole big long list of you know, various questions and, and all of that. And she kind of concluded that given that I was at home with my mum and, and dad, but I suppose mum was at home all of the time, that on that basis she wouldn't admit me um but that if i had hadn't been living at home she would have admitted me i don't know if that makes a whole pile of sense yeah um and then there was antidepressants and antipsychotics and all of those fun things and um I certainly talked through through a lot of things so it was kind of almost like developing not so much coping mechanisms as living mechanisms um, I, I, I can't even think offhand what specifically 
if anything they they advised um yeah there was some there was some counseling but not a lot of it but i certainly medication helped me and even though i still take medication because <clears throat> excuse me anytime i we have attempted to wean me off of it i can feel the the slippage yeah starting you know and that's not to say that you know i i had a nervous breakdown and now i'm never depressed at all um because that's not not true either it just means that i recognize things when they're happening and yeah. take steps to you know like a couple of days of being down you know that that's not being depressed to, to my mind but if there's a week where you're solidly thinking negative thoughts then then it's time well even before that it's time to go to the gp again yeah and i'm lucky i have a very good gp um yeah tell but, us tell, tell the people that are listening then what happened then you recovered from that you recovered from cancer you recovered from your nervous breakdown yeah, what happened so, next so as i said already i moved to galway about six nine months after that um and i had a job in the radiotherapy department and that was all okay and i was doing fairly all right i had friends up here anyway and i had family up here anyway so it wasn't like i was moving somewhere with with no one and then i think it was around st patrick's day 11 12 11 years ago 12 um I'd been away, I'd been to Australia and New Zealand for six weeks, friends were getting married. And I came back and I remember being the St. Patrick's Day myself and my friend, we went to the parade and I said, you know what, I'm really not feeling well, I'm really out of breath, I'm going to go home. So I went home and that was okay. And I went into work the following day, um, but I could hardly walk from one end of the corridor to the other without getting really out of breath. And my abdomen, had kind of, it was distended, shall we say. And also, I suppose, in, in hindsight, I had put on weight, but for no apparent reason. So I would go to the gym three or four days a week after work, and I lived in Salt Hill. I'd walk the prom always before I got home or on the way home, because um, I used to find if I went in home, that, <laughs> there was no exercise going to get done. But I ate healthily, you know, I didn't drink too much to excess. Um, you know, did all the things you're, you're kind of supposed to do and couldn't, I, I was, I turned 30 the year that the symptoms started kind of playing up. Um, but as I say, in hindsight, that kind of unexplained weight gain was fluid retention. But none of us really knew that at the time. So I bound up in, in such a way that I was quite out of breath, very uncomfortable, um, went across well, went, went to my GP who then sent me back across to the hospital and I was admitted for a week and they couldn't really find anything wrong with me. They did, they did ECGs, they did echocardiographs, they did angiograms, they did all kinds of things and nothing showed up in them. So could have been an infection, it could have been a hundred things. I think I was detected for every disease known to man, especially given that I'd been in Australia and New Zealand and had I been bitten or did I have Lyme disease or... Anyway, everything came back back negative, barred the fact that I obviously had accumulated fluid. So I think I was in for a week or two and then I was discharged and I went down to Cork for a couple of days. And I wound up being admitted down in Cork, if I recall, and was in hospital for ages from cardiology were looking after me. Um, couldn't find anything wrong with my heart. I had cardiac MRIs, there was nothing showing. 
and then it became it became like a tossing game between cardiology and respiratory because there was nothing showing up. Was it my lungs? Was it my heart? Was it my lungs? Was it my heart? Um, in the meantime, I was put on high dose steroids and loads of diuretics. Um, I wound up looking like the elephant man. I used to have to lift my legs up, both of my hands. Um, it was really it was, it was hideous. Um, and I got tremors from high dose steroids and all kinds of things. Um, and they still couldn't work out what it was. So then I I came back, I went back to work. Um, then I'd I'd have flare-ups or I'd get chest infections and I'd be in and it was still kind of six one half dozen of the other. So eventually a respiratory physician I was seeing up here, he said he genuinely for the life from they, they were doing kind of fluid taps and sending them off and all kinds of things and draining the lungs off every well, every when it got really bad and I couldn't breathe. Um well I couldn't breathe anyway, but it got worse the more fluid that was on board. And he said, I'm going to send off a blood test and um it might tell us one way or the other if it is your heart. So he sent off this this blood test. Um it's called a probe BMP and it came back with like I I think the, the normal numbers are less than hundred and when it was like eight hundred or nine hundred and something it was bananas and referred me to cardiology and then when they did an angiogram that time it showed I had heart failure. But that was about a year and a half of not of them not knowing kind of what to do with me so, yeah um, so that was that was stressful and frustrating and it was super frustrating because I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to do I couldn't even go for a walk never mind go to the gym or yeah or do anything else and in my head I was like well no if I, if I keep pushing it and I and I do the exercise then it will help us but sure it didn't help us because it wasn't anything to do with the lack of fitness or yeah else. it was an, an abnormality in my heart um the muscle just just couldn't do what it was meant to do and um then yeah then that kind of went on for a while and they could only treat I had a strange type of heart failure that could only be treated with diuretics so the longer it went on the more diuretics I'd take and I'd have a fluid restriction and I couldn't drink water and then you were chronically dehydrated and you had headaches all the time and and then it got to be, so I'd, I'd go into work, I'd, I'd work for a couple of weeks, then I'd be admitted for a few weeks with a chest infection or a pneumonia, or it was yeah. nearly always chest related. Um, until it eventually got to the point where my consultant said, um, I think it's time to write to the matter and ask them to, to um, do a transplant assessment, which they did, um, which took... I think it normally takes a week, but it took a wee bit longer with me. And then they said, yes, I did indeed need to be put on, on the transplant list. And that was nearly nine years ago. Yeah. So you had a heart transplant. I did. How has that, how did that affect your mindset and your mental health afterwards? Um, afterward, well, if I kind of go before, if you don't mind, because it kind of makes more sense in my head for explaining it. Um, it sounds like a bizarre thing to say. I mentioned earlier on about a nervous breakdown. That nervous breakdown actually did me a world of good because I developed coping mechanisms for when I did sort of feel 
feel a slide or when I was feeling low or whatever. So it sounds like a bizarre thing to say. That's amazing. Um, but it actually did mean more good because believe it or not, part of the transplant assessment is a psych review where they, you know, it's not just a physical, obviously they need to make sure that your body, you know, can can deal with it. But they, there is, a, there's a, 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 a psychiatry review um, where they basically have to make sure that you're likely to be able to cope with yeah after the after really yeah um because i mean like kind of before you're you i suppose with me i like i eventually and i, I mean eventually you, you know grasp that no i i was not going to be walking the prom or any part of the prom yeah anytime soon that that was actually that one of the hardest things or at that point i think i had three three nieces two of them were born five months before I had my transplant I couldn't do anything you know with them I couldn't do anything with anyone I couldn't even yeah. walk so um you know but it, like daft things like I'd look out the window and there'd be flowers and I'd be like well you know they put a smile on my face you know like it sounds like daft now you know we kind of talk about living in the moment yeah when all you have is the moment you know um so do you think it's made you a stronger person I don't that stronger is right I think different not bad different not perfect would you call yourself um, resilient <laughs> other people like to call me resilient I didn't just like I put one step in front one foot in front of the other and and you know do what I do what I can when I feel like I need a break then I Take all the, the setbacks and challenges you've faced cancer nervous breakdown heart transplant and yet we can all get so wrapped up in our own problems and issues that sometimes we can go through such periods of demotivation and um a, a lack of uh, keeping up with the action steps that we know we can yet you've been through so much and still kept going what advice or what like way do you live your life do, do you have a motto do you have your favorite way to live that you want to share with people it is literally one step in front of, I don't think that far ahead I gave that up a long time ago for some people it's their motivation and that's awesome but in all honesty since I've been 18 20 years old anytime I've planned any little bit ahead it's not that I'm expecting bad things to happen but it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, at, at the moment, I, 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 have, I, have, I have a loose plan in my head of doing something next summer. And I'm in year one of a part-time two-year master's program. That's as far as my planning is ever likely to go. And do you think um, you've become good at living in the moment? Do you think that's a skill of yours now that you've, that you've gotten good at? Yeah. It, yeah. Amazing. And everyone's striving for that. Like that's, yeah. that's the holy grail. To, I know that's, to live that, in the moment. Sorry, Jessica, for interrupting. That's not to say that the normal things don't wreck my head. You know, they, 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 they do, but literally, and my mom laughs at this and has laughed at it for a long time. Like take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. And then there's another thing. It's like, I can't even remember what I was talking about recently. And it was like, well, I don't think anyone's going to die if I don't do that today. You know, <laughs> yeah, 
what motivates you now to work out to get up get your trainers on and work out what motivates you to do that okay there's a couple of things um first off my my sleep has up and crap ever since i had chemotherapy but more so more so i suppose since the transplant of that but also the medications i take they affect my concentration and my sleep and everything else and in the meantime as well um kind of at the start of covid i started being perimenopausal so that didn't do the sleep any favors um it was bad enough as it was like but sweet jesus um so it actually it has helped my sleep enormously i can do things simple things that i couldn't have even thought of doing i mean i'd i'd been been through a cardiac rehab program after surgery that's standard for any cardiac event um and 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 that was all okay and i've been been back in a in a gym in in more and more and doing a wee bit and I was walking places and all the rest of it so it wasn't like I was wasn't doing doing anything but then when COVID happened and I was classed as need to cocoon um and I didn't leave the house at all for months um it, it was like a lifeline um all jokes aside um the whole the whole group dynamic was you know, it wasn't just physically, it was it was mentally, psychologically, even socially, even though nobody could go anywhere because you had all of these kind of little, you know, you had the, the weekly check-ins or you had just into doing a cook-along or, you know, that, yeah. that was actually huge in, in, in that sense. So even transplant aside, that whole COVID weirdness, um, yeah. especially because I live, live alone or mostly alone anyway. Um, that was actually huge. So there was the the, the social thing because I'm not by nature. I'm not by nature sociable with people I don't know. Yeah, well, Claire, I'm so delighted that you joined our program uh, because you're so inspiring to so many of our clients, to all of our clients. But tell me, I just want you to still tell me advice you give for everyone listening now who has lost their motivation or that just feels like where is their get up and go? What advice would you give to them listening now that they might be feeling overweight and comfortable in their clothes? They might have unhealthy habits or setback or a challenge or a life change. And they're just like, where do I start? Or not just where do I start, just a little piece of Claire's, Claire's advice, Claire's recommendation. Well, I'm going to quote you first and say, if you're waiting for motivation, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. Yeah. Get up, set the alarm, get up, put on the gear and do it. Regardless of how you feel. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love it. Part, unless I have a hideous migraine or I didn't sleep the night before. But that's <laughs> different for me because if I push too hard when I feel like crap, like, it is ramifications yeah. beyond that aside, today. I could get you. Get up. You feel like crap. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Get up and go because and get a workout in. There was a day last week where I think I even, I said in the comments afterwards, not my best workout by any stretch, but I got up and I did it. Yeah. And I always feel better for doing it. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the workout. It could be a walk. It could be a, you know, <laughs> what, whatever. That's that's the first thing. And the other thing, the other thing is to try and not overthink it. I mean, yeah. anything. Yeah. Because you might be thinking that, oh, <clears throat> whoever down there is saying or thinking or doing, trust me, they're so they're way too wrapped up in themselves. <laughs> even give a toss what you're at. Yeah. And the third thing is one foot in front of the other. You might end up taking three steps back, which you will 
you know, you've, you've seen me climb a mountain. It, it's very slow and steady, mm. unsteady in patches. Yeah. But, you know, you, 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 or you, can, you can have the, like, people would talk about a goal and I'd be like, well, I'm going to go on the hike. And it'd be nice if I got to the top. But sure, I'll go as far as I'll go. And we'll see how I'm feeling. That's the other thing. Listen to Love how that. I'm feeling. Like it genuinely, like, I mean, if you're genuinely absolutely banjaxed and sick or whatever, and your body's telling you you need to sleep or rest, then you need to sleep or rest. Yeah. That's, you know, that's just. So listen to your body. Yes. When you're setting goals. Yeah, have the goal. But yeah, yeah, I'll give it a go. And if I don't make the top on that day, that's cool. But I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, which was your other one, one foot in front of the other. And the other one is regardless of how you're feeling unless of course you've got something bad going on but if it's just mood related regardless yeah. of how you're feeling set your alarm clock get it done regardless of how you're feeling yeah and 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 if I was sad one other thing it's appreciate what you have while you have it yes yeah yeah that is so true Claire, you have been a wonderful guest and so inspiring. And I'm so excited that I can get to share your story with everybody that um, I love dear, her clients, friends, and you are a truly inspiring member of our coaching group. And I'm so excited that everybody can hear your story and, and see what I see when I see you climbing up Croke Patrick, slow and steady, one foot in front of the other, doing it at your own pace, determined, deciding you are going to get to the top, listening to your body, not putting yourself under pressure, but still one foot in front of the other. The Killaloo hikes that I've done with you, Diamond Hill, um, Nakma, and getting up and getting your workout done. And you have even more setbacks than it's you're not just battling with um a cold morning you're battling with a lack of sleep and different symptoms that really make getting up challenging and yet you still get up and get your workout done claire i am so so proud of you thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast um all my love to you guys i hope you enjoyed this episode you must let me know as always by sending me a message on my social media um, or sending me an email thanks thank you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and you must let me know by getting in touch. Don't forget you can head on over to jessicacook.ie where you'll find lots of free stuff to get you started on your journey.